Think about the hottest TV show out there right now. Let's say House of Dragons. It's on HBO Max, and it had one of the platform's biggest premieres. We're talking bloody murder scenes, large reptiles, blazing towns, and a story plot of unpredictable twist. It's a pretty good damn show. Or how about Succession? A show with family drama, betrayal, and characters you either love or hate. And what more can you ask for, right? More brown folks, y'all. That's what. Where are they? Where are we? I mean, there might be one, two, or three working in front of the camera behind the scenes, but it's still not enough. Today, I'm talking to the woman behind an incredible show on HBO that's completely centered around brown folks. Can you just introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Are we? Oh, this is it? We're starting? That's it? I see? Okay. Dale. My name is Claudia Forestieri, and I'm a chocolate-holic. I am a TV writer, creator of Gordita Chronicles. Soy Dominicana. Hey. And, um, you know, I'm all about Latin culture, and I guess I just love to tell stories about the Latino community. Claudia's comedy series Gordita Chronicles was an instant hit this summer. It follows the life of a sassy young girl named Cuckoo and her family as they pursue this grandiose American dream. It's based on Claudia's own life. Hey, watch where you're going, fatso. Oh, my name's not fatso. It's Cuckoo. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Hey, fatso means gordita, gordita. Gordita Chronicles was well-received by critics. It gained a loyal following. It got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. But sadly, it was canceled within a few months of its premiere. Now it is just another show in the long list of Latino shows that have been canceled or limited to a couple of seasons. Check it. One Day at a Time, Hentified, On My Block, Vida, Mystery Iglesias, The Baker and the Beauty, Grand Hotel, The Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia, Diary of a Future President. Y'all, I am tired. Not even kid shows are safe. Around 18% of the U.S. population is made up of Latinos. That is millions, y'all. But just a fraction of the writers behind the shows and movies we watch are Latinx. In 2020, a group of showrunners, creators, and writers sent a letter to Hollywood execs telling them that they too were tired of statistics like these. Claudia was one of those people who signed this letter, calling for systemic change in the industry regarding Latinx artists. Today, Claudia tells me about her experience breaking into Hollywood, what she learned after creating and working with the cast of Gordita Chronicles, and what Hollywood is still failing to do for the Latinx community. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Here we go. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Now, if y'all heard Ruby Rosa, which you should, you know my Spanish is not that great. But Claudia is fluent in the language. Her family spoke it at home in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. When she moved to the U.S. as a kid, she had a hard time adjusting to English. One of her elementary school teachers wasn't very understanding. 
every time I spoke Spanish, because I still was learning English, she would, like, punish me. She would, like, first she started putting me in the corner, and then she started putting me outside. Oh, my god! And then one day she forgot about me and left me outside all day. And the door was locked, and it was really hot. And then another day, um, we were taking a test, and I was terrified because I'm like, I don't know this stuff. And then the girl next to me, she's blonde, right? And she has long blonde hair. And I'm like, oh, this girl probably knows all the answers. I'm going to, like copy from her, whatever. So I was like, ah, great. Turned in my test. The next day, um, they call me to the principal's office. And my parents and her parents are both there. And I'm like, oh, God, freaking out. I'm seven years old. And it turns out we both failed the test because we had the exact same answers. And we, she didn't speak um, English either. She had just come from Cuba. But me, I thought blonde hair... American, so she has to know what's happening. And that's how I made, like, my first first friend in the United States. Was her? Yeah. Kids, this is why we don't copy. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? Fourth grade. Wow. We had this prompt. We had to write what we wished for. And um, I wrote that I I wish I was skinny because people, like, were always on me for being gordita. So I wrote about how I got bullied and how, like, in ballet class, they weren't letting me dance on point because the teacher said I could break my toes. And <laughs> then I didn't know that the winning essay was going to be read for the whole school to hear over the PA system. So then I hear the principal, like, reading this essay. Oh, I wish I was skinny. And they didn't read the name who wrote it. And they just start going into it. I'm like, oh, my so God. Somebody- a white principal, like, I'm assuming, yeah. is reading your essay yes. out loud. <laughs> For the whole school. Not only my grade, every grade. Wow. You know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And I, at first I thought, like, oh, my God, somebody else has the same wish. Somebody else wants to be skinny, just like me. I wonder who it is. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, shit, no, that's my essay. What? And I wanted to die. I wanted to just, like, you know, we used to have those desks that you would lift it and the books were there. Like, I just wanted to stick my head in the desk. And um, But then, like, people were, like, the teachers were a little bit nicer to me. And a couple of the people, like, the bullies who used to, like, make fun of me, you know, laid off me for, like, a few weeks but more importantly, like, just hearing my own words and my own story and, and and that validation, I was like, I was freaking hooked, you know? And I always knew I wanted to do something with writing. So that was when it first happened. Realizing that she was a talented writer, Claudia eventually pursued her dreams of becoming a professional one. She started out as a reporter for the Spanish-speaking network called Telemundo. Here's a clip of Claudia in her early years as a young, spunky reporter. Those two clips that you showed were like, I, I had already been doing it for three, four years. And um, yeah, I felt comfortable. I was working for Buenos Dias Chicago and I was kind of like my own producer because it was very hard to figure out like who was going to give me an interview like at 6 a.m. So I had to set everything up myself. So I would set up, you know, I had an inclination towards arts and entertainment. And um, so I would set up you know, interviews with all these like different personalities around Chicago who would be willing to wake up in the morning. So yeah, <laughs> like um, I, I really just loved being able to tell like fun stories. Like I guess I always wanted to do things that were lighter. And anytime that I had an opportunity to kind of like do a lighter story, because sometimes if there's a big, if it's a big news day, you get stuck like, you know, covering the freaking fire that killed six people, you know? 
Was working for a Spanish-speaking network something you fell into or something you chose? Um, hmm. I think a little bit of both. So when I was at University of Florida, I was told that because I had an accent that it would could be very hard is, for me. Is this your accent or did you have more of an accent? Um, no, this is it. That's so wild. Yeah. This I think... Is- yeah, what they picked up on was more of my Miami accent. Which is very, which is a thing. It's totally, totally a, thing. a thing. Like, say three. Three. Okay, so you still roll your R's a little bit. It took me like a year of voice lessons not to say three anymore and just to say three. Three. So, yes. <laughs> if you're outside of Miami, you probably say three and not three. So little things like that is what I used to do that maybe, and instead of saying news, I used to say news a little bit more. So there were little little things that I tweaked. But um, once I learned English, I was speaking English most of the time. But I was also, because I was growing up in Miami and in my house, like my dad was like, no, inside in here, you hablan español. You have to speak Spanish. Yeah, cool. yeah, no, my dad was huge on that. Good. So actually, we were like piling on the languages. Like, I took French, and then my dad tried to teach me Italian, but then I would talk like this all the time. And he like didn't have any patience for that. So he canceled the Italian classes. Do you speak so, French now? Un petit peu. Italian? Un po. <laughs> and why Telemundo? Why Telemundo? Because I thought I wasn't going to j- get a job in an English language station. And since I had Spanish. You thought you wouldn't when, get Since I got that criticism, I was like, I'm going to make two resume tapes. I'm going to make one in English. I'm going to make one in Spanish. And then I sent them both out. And then it took me, it's very, very competitive to get a TV reporter job, especially when you're trying to break in. So the first place that offered me a job after a year of sending out tapes left and right, going to journalism conventions, was Telemundo Canal 48 en el área de la Bahía. So that's where I went. How does journalism prepare you for Hollywood? Oh, rejection, to be a hustler, to be scrappy, not take no for an answer, um, to be persistent, um, to make people cry. I'm just kidding. I used to say that was my job. I used to work for this. I worked for La Doctora Polo, who's freaking brilliant and amazing. La Doctora Polo is the one who does Caso Cerrado, uh-huh. which some of your listeners might know is, is like a Judge Judy in Spanish, and it's been running for like over 20 years. And I worked for this America's Most Wanted type crime-solving show. And um, yeah, I would track down these unsolved cases and interview the family members. So I would feel so bad sometimes because, you know, you you talk about a lost family member who's been murdered and people are going to cry. So, yeah, all those things prepared me for Hollywood because you have to be persistent. You have to be tenacious. You have to um, learn how to craft a story um, and, you know, being bold and standing out and knowing how to talk to people. You don't instantly just become... A writer in Hollywood, like that, and that pays all your bills. What is the tipping point that says, like, I'm gonna start writing more while I'm doing journalism? And then when do you quit? Well, when I first got to LA in 2009, and, you know, I had heard all about how they needed Latino TV writers. So it's not like I thought they were giving away TV writing jobs. 2009. They still need them. (laughs) (laughs) Right? No, I know. Oh, I know. I know. But, you know, it's not like I thought they were giving away, like, TV writing jobs at LAX or anything. But I really thought, I'm like, I used to be a reporter. I am a Latina. Like, 
I'm going to get a TV writing job. And then cut to a year later, I'm broke. And um, I'm working as a background actor. And the highlight for me in 2010 was that I got a job through my my sister's husband's cousin working at a catering company. And I got to make a few more bucks an hour. So um, it was really hard. Y'all, it's hard out here in L.A. And nothing is easy. Trust me. I know the feeling. Eventually... Claudia went back to Telemundo, this time as a reporter in L.A. I went back to news because I loved it, but because I needed a way to sustain my writing habit <laughs> and um, take classes. And I was like, okay, after a year being in L.A. and getting in debt and realizing how expensive it was, but knowing that I needed to stay here, I'm like, I just need to have a day job so I can um, have time to develop my craft. Because I think, like, you know, you might have a— an inclination towards something, towards acting, but you really have to develop your craft. And I think that's what Hollywood is about. You, and you always have to keep developing your craft. So, you know, by day I was working, you know, putting um, news stories together and then nights and weekends working on my writing for nine, like nine years. Claudia worked hard to be where she's at today, but it all paid off. After spending years of telling stories for a national news network, Claudia finally got her big break by telling her own story. She wrote and created Gordita Chronicles based on her real life in Miami in the 1980s. This story that is not often not seen on television, not represented, can you give me a brief, short version of what it's about? It's about a girl who comes with her family from the Dominican Republic to Miami in the 80s. And all of a sudden, she loses all her status on the Dominican Republic. Everybody knew her. They loved her. And in Miami, they don't know her name. And people start calling her Gordita. So it's really a story about, you know, immigration from a child's point of view, you know, trying to rebuild your life and the immigrant experience. Um, you know, everyone, you know, most of the immigrants that come to this country, 99%, I would say, um, come because they want to improve their lives. They want to improve the United States and they love the United States. So, I, you know, I wanted to tell a story like reflecting the immigrant experiences that I grew up around in Miami, which are not really what you see on TV these days. How much? is your life. I say that this is like a Disney version of my family because it's like, you know, real life, my dad had a temper, you know, and my mom is Aleida in real life and the character is Adela. So that character is probably the one that's the most true to life. And, um, but that same spirit, that like, you know, persistence, that like, you know, the funny things that Adela says, that's like very much my mom. And, um, and as far as like me, like, I like to think that I, I wasn't as sassy as, you know, as this fictional cuckoo, but all of my friends I grew up with tell me like, oh no, you were just like that. Cuckoo is played by 13-year-old newcomer Olivia Goncalves. Remember when Claudia told us that she got in trouble for speaking Spanish in school? Well, she used this experience as inspiration for a scene in episode 3 called, In America, We Speak English. The right to the seat, lo que quieras, and not get thrown in la cárcel. Uh, Cuckoo, I'm going to stop you. This is an English-only class, and that's because... Very good. And you, Cuckoo, were speaking a lot of Spanish. I was? Mentira. I know you're new, but it is class Cuckoo is policy, incredible. And it she, is as, as You described her as a person as incredible. She's a great actress. The role is incredible. What is sort of verbatim you? Like, 
it's based on you. So what is, what from that was like, you're like, yeah, this is, this was me. The defiance. Like, I like to say that I made a career out of being told no, because there were all the big things in my life people had told me I wasn't going to be able to get because I was gordita. So I was told I wasn't going to have a boyfriend, that I wasn't going to be happy, that I wasn't going to be a TV reporter, uh, that I wasn't going to get married. Like, so many things. Because I was gordita, I was told, no, that's not for you. But like Cuckoo and Gordita Chronicles, I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I persisted. And I was kind of like defiant. It's like, okay, no says you. I'm going to do it anyway. So I think that essence is what we both have in common. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Claudia is going to tell us about the importance of knowing one's craft before trying to forge ahead. Stick around. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. And we're back, y'all, with Claudia Foresteri, creator of Gordito Chronicles. It was extremely important for Claudia to capture the immigrant experience on her show. And for her to do that, she needed a team of writers who knew about this experience firsthand. All of the stories were inspired by somebody's immigrant story. The driving episode um, with, written by Dan Signer was part inspired by his experiences coming to the United States, having to get a new license, and my mom's experience having to get a new license and not having her full name fit on the license and having to decide. Like, she had, like, an identity crisis at the DMV trying to decide which one of her names. Oh, crazy. That really happened to my mom. I can't believe this. Our Dominican license are no good here. It's no big deal, just a little paperwork. This form only has room for one last name. What about the other six? If I drop my mother's last name, she'll disown me. If I drop my father's last name, his ghost will come and get me. I think Adela Castelli has a great ring to it. Is this your first piece that, or was there another one that you were once working on, or was this always sort of your baby? I guess it was this one. Like... There was one script before this one that started opening some doors for me, but Gordita Chronicles is the one that got me into the ABC Disney program. It got me um, staffed on Good Trouble season one. It got me staffed on Selena, the series. And then I just had it as a sample. I wrote it because um, Carol Krishner, who's this amazing woman in the industry, um, she runs the WGA Showrunners training program. She gave me the wonderful piece of advice of, write a script that only you could write. So when I wrote Gordita, it was a one-hour light drama. Um, and I kind of wrote it as like kind of like an introduction to me. Like, here's why I'm so neurotic. Like, you know, here's why I'm like obsessed with losing weight. And yet I eat donuts for breakfast. So, um, you know, I was happy that it just got me a staff writing gig. I never thought somebody would want to turn it into a show. So um, when Frank Ochoa... At Sony read it after we had a general meeting, which is just kind of, you know, in the industry, how you call 
you know, the getting to know you meetings. Um, he read the script and he, you know, he reached out. He's like, hey, I think this could be a TV show. Would you be willing to turn it into a half hour comedy? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'll turn it into a musical procedural, like whatever you think it will take if you really think this could sell. The show premiered on HBO Max in June 2022, years after Claudia first wrote a version of it to use as a sample. And turning her one-hour drama into a series of laugh-out-loud, funny 30-minute episodes was hard. When I first started working on the script, it brought tears to my eyes, and mm. I, 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 it was sad. It came from a sad place. Like, all comedy comes from, like, a sad, true place, if it's good comedy. So at the beginning, I remember talking to the teacher, Ali Feltz, who's um, one of the EPs on Ozark, brilliant. And um, she's like, really think about it if you want to do this. Like, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Like, you can write about something else. But something told me to write about it. But it was like, you know, I, I never wanted to be called gordita. Like, I had to kind of make peace with the word and embrace it. But, you know, where else but the USA can you freaking make a living and break into the industry, you know, with gordita? Come on. There's like a spiritual element to your work in this story. And I think all good art uh, is a bit of meeting the trauma that's braided within us. And we start to unbraid it. But we do something where we unbraid it publicly. And the public unbraiding can be beautiful. It can be sad, you know. And you did that beautifully. I'm interested in, for all the bodies of culture out there who want to make something close to their heart, but also they just want to get something made. They got to, we got to dream. We got to pay rent. What did you navigate? What was a non-negotiable? Like, how does someone, a young writer who has something good, how much are they willing to let go of and keep? And yeah, how do you do that? Um, it's tough. Because when you're in development, there are multiple entities weighing in and guiding and giving feedback. A lot of chefs in the kitchen. Yes. So you really have to know, like, okay, like, you know, if I'm making lasagna, am I willing to, you know, take out the meat and sub it, you know, <laughs> put spinach, which spinach lasagna, my mom makes one. It's really good. <laughs> so you, I knew going into this process, I was like, okay, these are my non-negotiables. Like, I want it to be a gordita. I want it to be set in the 80s. I want the family to be Dominican. And those were the things I wouldn't change. Um, for anyone who's, who's trying to break in, I would say, first of all, like, really, really work on your craft. Like, thankfully, because, um, you know, one of the nice benefits of the pandemic is there's so many classes right now that you can take online, virtual. You don't have to be in Los Angeles. So you really have to work on your craft because if—and also you— don't want to start showing your work before it's ready. So, you know, you need to kind of know the foundations and um, the formats and all the technical things about writing, as well as the emotional things. Write about the thing that embarrasses you, your most humiliating thing. Like, great scripts are filled with moments like that, which is like these revelations and these things that like we don't want anybody to know about these secret things these things you know areas where we've messed up areas where we feel like deficient so you have to be willing to expose yourself and you so know others can feel seen yes you know watching your show the mom is so much my mama like i know she's your mama but <laughs> and my mom's not dominican she's colombian uh but i see so much fire for what she cares about uh, and humor and love. Uh, and maybe that's just like a 
a Latin woman thing. Maybe it's a good mom thing. Maybe it's all of the above. Yeah. But I do see so much of my mama in that, uh, like so much. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you allowing yourself to be seen in whichever way shows me my own community and my own blessings. Yeah. And gifts. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about the cast? Any problems you might have come across when you were casting this show? It was very challenging to find Olivia, to find our cuckoo. So what I realized through the casting process is there's not that many kids of color that um, are going out for these parts. Huh. We need more kids of colors. We need more Latino kids. Parents, if you have a kid that has an inclination towards acting, please sign them up for classes. So with Olivia, we were um, we were looking for cuckoo. Um, and we saw wonder, a lot of wonderful actresses that... Um, had a lot of great qualities that could have made really good cuckoos. But we were really looking for a needle in a haystack because it had to be someone. I really, really, really wanted a Dominican girl. Somebody yeah. of, you know, that had never been a role like this that was so specifically Dominican. And I knew that somewhere out there in the world, there was a Dominican girl that was like, you know, my mini me, I guess, right? Like with that spunk, but also the vulnerability. So this is a role that like for a young girl, it's very challenging because it's like it's playing the part of a girl whose whole life is like upended. So um, we looked and looked through all the traditional means. And then um, finally, one day I was like, I'm going to just go to social media. And I posted on Facebook and my friend Jorge Reyes um texted me. He's from New York, Puerto Rican. He's like, hey, I know this Dominican guy in New York who used to do casting. He might be a, he says he can help you, but you got to call him. And I was like, okay. It's like a drug deal. <laughs> Man. I mean, drug dealers are less intimidating than Ulises Terrero. Okay. And we've talked about this. So he's cool with me sharing the story. But so I call Ulises and he's like, listen, he's like, you know, you Hollywood types, you know, he's like, how come you didn't hire me as your casting director? And I was like, well, you know, I'm like, oh, look, this is my first show. Please just help me. And then he's like, well, look, I can help you, but you have to promise me you're really going to give these girls a shot. Okay. You're not, you know, you're going to let them read and you're going to show it to the producers and you're going to seriously consider them. If not, I'm not sending you anything. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, please. So then he sends me three videos. And all the girls were cute as hell. So it's Olivia. And first, she's doing a dance to Savage, Megan Thee Stallion, right? And then after the little dance, she's like, hi, my name is Olivia Goncalves. I'm 11 years old. I love to dance. I love to sing. And I definitely love to act. <laughs> I love singing. I love dancing. And I definitely love acting. I can be la gordita. Yo puedo ser la gordita. And I saw a video and I got chills. And I was like, oh, dear God, please let her be able to act, please. So then, yeah, we she read for the part and then we called her back. And then little by little, I'm like convincing everybody. And, but people were like, but she doesn't have any credits. I'm like, yes, but this is our girl. This is her. This is her, please. So thank, you know, Brigitte saw like her talent, our showrunner. And then Eva Longoria, once she became attached as the director, she had a session over Zoom with Olivia. And Brigitte describes um, Eva's behavior as a Russian ballet teacher because she made Olivia go 
over those lines, like, um, the scene. Like, she made her do it, like, five times. She's like, okay, this time you're mad at your sister. Okay, now this time you're mad at your sister, but you don't want her to know. Now this time you're mad at your sister, you don't want her to know, and your parents are in the next room, so you have to keep her. And Olivia was like, boom, boom, boom. And hit it, hit it. We just saw her getting better and better and better and better. And then after we were done, Eva's like, that's our girl. And then when we were, you know, making the case to, you know, um, the folks at Tony and HBO uh, at, at Tony first, um, Eva put it like this. She's like, I can either paint um, stripes on a kitten and call it a tiger or I can tame the tiger. She's like, I want to tame the tiger. When creating any kind of content, is it essential to know your audience? And if so, who is your audience? When I worked at Telemundo, we always had the audience in mind. Like every year we would have a breakdown, a demographic breakdown of who our audience was. Like by the for the year. Yeah. Like, you know, 65%, you know, Mexican, like 15% Guatemalan and all that. And we very consciously would want to service that audience um, by doing stories that they would find relevant. And important. So I, that's something that I, I took from news. And um, you know, that's why, for me, I want to keep telling stories about Latino characters. and I, But I want to tell them in a way um, that other people outside of the Latino culture can also relate to them. Like, I grew up watching shows about Black culture, you know, like The Cosby Show and A Different World and, you know, Good Times on reruns and all that. And I learned so much about Black culture through those shows. And they were accessible to me, even though I wasn't part of that culture. So that's, you know, I guess I'm greedy and I want everybody to see the show. But I wanted to connect deeply with Latinos and for people that are not Latino to be able to connect and empathize. If there were one takeaway that someone could get from watching your show, what would you hope it is? That immigrants are people too. (laughs) And we're human. And, um... I like to say that immigrants are like the newest members of the USA club. And um, I wish, you know, if somebody saw the show and at least just take away like and not look at immigrants as foreigners. My parents growing up, my dad would always be like, oye, este país siempre, que maravilla es. But he was always marveling at how, you know, civilized this country was and how it was a country, you know, of laws and everything. And like, I mean, I know there's other, that's, there's problems with the law enforcement and there's um, institutional racism, et cetera. But I think if you, if you leave everything you know and all the people you know and love, to come to a place is because you have a deep respect for it. So I wish that were one of the takeaways and that people laugh too and have more sympathy for gorditas. It is heartbreaking. It is a beautiful show. Uh, the ratings and the, and the love is all there. Uh, you know that. And all, all things that happen are going to be good things uh, for you and your writing. Can I ask you about what are some of the harmful stereotypes that Hollywood still perpetuates about Latinidad? Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is uh, the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And even the narrative, I know it's like sexy and everything. Ooh, it's high stakes and the crime. But one thing that I really hate about Hollywood is like, you know, a lot of times when, um, except for maybe... You know, shows and movies like like the movie Traffic. I they show the drug dealer Throwback. being evil. 
Yes. Um, as if he exists in a vacuum. And this, you know, narco is just, you know, selling drugs just to wreak havoc and evil, whatever. But um, they don't really fully even develop those characters and show, like, the dark, you know, stark economic, socioeconomic circumstances they came from. And most importantly, from my POV, which is, like, they're feeding an American appetite for drugs. (laughs) You know, it's a symbiotic relationship. So, you know, anyway, that drug dealer narco stereotype I hate and and the plethora of shows that we have on that topic to me is disproportionate to reality um the stereotype of the like sexy latina not all latinas are as sexy as i am so i'm just kidding but like you know what i mean yes of course we're very proud that like a lot of around the world let latinas have this you know mystique about them and and this essence. warm way. yes and essence yes that that's wonderful but it can also it's a double edged sword because also just to see latina characters in a sexualized manner all the time again without being well rounded um and without being three dimensional then you're just creating that notion that all latina women are exactly like that also maybe just the role of victim like, just a helpless victim. Like, oh, my God. Like, you know, somebody who's not empowered. Like, that's another, I think, harmful stereotype that that's seen too often. I feel like Hollywood still is getting it wrong. Why are they getting it wrong? I used to think it was because there weren't enough Latino, Latine, Latinx writers. But now, after my experience with Gordita Chronicles, I think... There's not enough executives, the networks. And I think if the people who are making these decisions, they make it out to be that it's a very clinical decision. Like, oh, and 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 that's how, you know, me and Bridget were approaching this. It's like, okay, oh my God, if we get like media buzz, we did so many interviews, like I lost my voice, like, you know, um, and we're like, okay, and then we got the numbers and then we got the reviews and like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and we exceeded the numbers. And yet we still get canceled. So I'm still trying to understand the reasons as to why this decision was made. But I can't help but have this um, instinctual feeling that if the people who made this decision would have watched the show Mm. and would have been able to connect with it, that we would right now be writing season two of Gordita Chronicles. And also the the two people, all the women all women that championed the show, the two executives that bought it, and then um, their boss were all let go. So, um, and one of them was a woman of color. So all that, women, were all let women, go. Wow. all women, all women. So that like is just it makes me really angry because it's like, uh, what can I do? What can I do? It's like we feel like you know me and Bridge feel like you know we did everything right. And so we got canceled. And and it's and of course we're not the only ones. There's been a bunch of other Latino shows. It's almost like they feel like, okay, we gave this Latino show like one season or whatever. Now we can cancel it. We got our brownie points or whatever the hell. You know? And it, it it's a heartbreaking. Not our so, brownie points. We got our brown points. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> we got our brown points. Yes. Yes. You know, I said this to you last time I saw you, and and I and I believe it. It's like it's nice to receive checks. It's even better to sign them. And until more people signing them from up top, look 
a little different than your average uh, cisgendered white male. You know, uh, the change will not happen. That said, and from your opinion, from the inside, how can we stop this from happening? What is, is there a solution? What's the solution? Or is it just that? Is it just over time executives will look different? I mean, that's a great question, and that's what I've been thinking about all these weeks since I found out that we weren't going to have a second season at HBO Max, and I don't know. I don't know, like, but something has to change. Um, I know there's many organizations out there that are advocating for this, but, like, the leadership at these networks need to reflect America and the population, um, and it does not. It does not. And I think they're doing a disservice to their audience. Um, and I don't know how to change that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I really want to give some thought to, um, because this is, has been known to have be a problem for so long and, um, there's not, there's just not enough Latino executives in the ranks. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Frank Ochoa at Sony, who was the first one to believe that this could be a show, you know, I may not have a career. Before we finish today, I want to share some details that were written in the open letter in 2020. Quote, no stories about us without us. Make room for us to tell our own stories. It is not enough to hire one Latinx writer and expect them to be the sole representative of a vast and heterogeneous group of people. Hire more of us, end quote. I know I'm repeating this, but if Rotten Tomatoes gave it 100%, which means the people gave it 100%, you best believe it is a great show. And Claudia, I hope you find a new home for Gordita Chronicles. Either way, I can't wait to see what's next in store for you. I know it's going to be great. Next on Brown Enough? If we were together in Queens right now, uh, where would you take me to get a taco and what would you order? Just one taco? Because we have to start at several places. We'd probably start, well, it depends. I think we'd probably have to start in Junction Boulevard and work our way down to 74th and just stay on Roosevelt. We're talking tacos with Professor Steve Alvarez. This episode will make you hungry, y'all, so be prepared. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabrielle Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Brendan Burns. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all, or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. And if you got a minute, leave us a review. A nice one. It goes a long way. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people.